Welcome to Finish Well Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing your home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, I'm Meredith Curtis. Welcome to Host Your Own Medieval Banquet for Middle Ages History Fun. This is episode 190. And of course, if you go to the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast website, you'll be able to use our show notes. Just look for episode 190. You know, nothing is boring when you throw a party. And throwing history parties is something my friend Laura and I have done over the years while we were raising children, homeschooling them. We've graduated all of our children now from homeschool. And But we have so many memories and, wow, so many pictures of having these history parties like a luau, an archaeological dig, an ancient Greek Olympic Games. I could just go on and on. We had a presidential state dinner. So it was really, really fun. And the kids loved these events, and we loved them, too, though there was a tiny bit of work involved. Well, okay, a little bit more than a tiny bit. But I want to talk to you first before I tell you how to throw a medieval banquet. I want to talk to you about how planning, hosting, and participating in history parties is educational as well as fun. So you could attend a medieval banquet. You could attend an archaeological dig. But when you plan it, when you host it, and and your students, your children can participate in this, there is something that they learn because they're thinking, okay, we want to be authentic. So we're going to need to research and we're going to need to find out, you know, with an archaeological dig, they found out that what a tell was and how there were layers of different artifacts. With the medieval banquet, there was so much. And we had just studied the Middle Ages in history class. So some of it was a review, but some of it was new. And some of it, honestly, they had forgotten, so they had to relearn it. We looked at crops and food because what were we going to serve at the medieval banquet? Well, that would depend on what grew. So we had to pick a location. It was somewhere in Europe, but we decided to have our medieval banquet in England, and that meant kind of English fare. What were the English going to eat? Also, manners and protocol. Wow. There was so much involved in a medieval banquet that we didn't know. The Middle Ages was a real stickler for who sat where and who got the highest honor, who got the least honor, not sharing your um, cup with someone from a lower class. It was just very interesting. And the closest I can relate it to is when you go to a wedding and you have the processional and there's a certain order for the processional. And then in the reception, you have a head table and that's the bride and groom and their, um, you know, I almost said they're lords and ladies, but they're bridesmaids and groomsmen. But that really goes back. That protocol really goes back to something similar to the Middle Ages. So if you get a little confused following me, just think of a wedding. Think of the pageantry of a wedding and the feasting and the head table at a wedding. Part of the pageantry, like there is actually, you actually walk into a medieval banquet. You don't just show up. 
but everyone like moves into the banqueting room together um, in a certain order. And another thing that you'll see is family crests and flags. And that was something that we did when we had our medieval banquet. We made a family crest and we also made flags for our family. Costumes. Everyone would have a different costume. So, of course, most of the girls are going to want to go as princesses. The guys are not going to want to go as princes. They're going to want to go as knights. They're going to want to go as an executioner. Our top thing that people wanted to come as for the guys was a hunchback. And they just stuffed a pillow in the back of their shirt. And I don't think there were a ton of hunchbacks. But we had a ton of hunchbacks at our medieval banquet. It was so funny. So you're going to think about that. Like, you're going to research what did royalty wear? What did peasants wear? What did monks wear? What did priests wear and bishops? And what about jesters? What about a, a herald? What would he wear? And then the crowns were even different. So the king and queen had one kind of crown. The prince and princess had another. The duke and duchess another. And on and on, there's so many different ranks in nobility, which we're not going to go over in this podcast, but it does go over it. I have a resource called Let's Have Our Own Medieval Banquet, and it does show the different crowns and all of that. So if you would like to do this, kids get so excited to dress up. They get so excited when they find out there's going to be jousting, and don't worry, it's with pool noodles. But that is so exciting to kids, and they love the dressing up, and they love, honestly, people love pageantry, so it is pretty fun. And one thing that's kind of neat about a medieval banquet is that dogs are welcome. So we actually, instead of using a banquet hall, the two times that we had a medieval banquet, Together, Laura and I used her backyard. At the time, she was living on a very large property. Not all of it was hers, but it was at her disposal. And it was huge, just like acres and acres. And so we had this big um, field and a place to set up. It was really, really nice. And so we set up our tables out in a field, and we let we invited dogs to come, too. And they came, and they were very well-behaved. The venue could be a church fellowship hall. The venue could be, I don't know if it could be, it would have to be a very large family room for that to be the venue. It would be probably easier to turn your garage. Like if you have an empty garage, we have a full one, but you could turn your garage into a banquet hall. And remember, things were very rustic back in the Middle Ages, and we'll talk more about that, but it's not like today when everything's fancy and everything's carpeted and, you know, we're so used to air conditioning and things like that. So it's kind of nice to rough it because it it reminds our children that life was very different back then. So after you pick a venue, you have to talk about who attends. So in the in the Middle Ages, everyone was invited to the banquets, usually even the peasants. Of course, they had to sit at a much lower table. Um, but lord and ladies often hosted banquets. Sometimes royalty would be there. It might be a king or queen or, or prince or princess or a duke. But a lot of times it was the lord and lady who had a manor and often had a castle 
and there were protective walls. So if danger came, the peasants who worked in the fields around could come in. And nearby was usually a monastery with possibly a bishop, but definitely monks. And so there would always be someone from the church in attendance who could open everything in prayer. And so who would come to your medieval banquet? A lord and lady in costume, a bishop in costume, nobility in costume, herald, squire, page, priests, merchants, all in costumes, entertainers such as jugglers, musicians, bards, a jester, acrobats, dancers, magicians, all of them would come and they would be in costume from the Middle Ages. Monks or abbots in costume and then peasants in costume. And so that would be what we did so that we would have that wide variety is we had people sign up. We did it with our homeschool co-op. And then we also, since it was a church homeschool co-op, we invited the whole church to come. And it was so neat because people really got into it. And we had a sign-up sheet. I told you we had to make some of the boys not be hunchbacks, but, oh, they had to be a prince or, oh, they had to be a king. But they really did enjoy the whole the whole realm of it. We even picked a king and a queen. We picked the very oldest boy in the co-op to be the king and the very youngest girl to be the queen. So that made it so there wasn't weirdness because they were so far apart in age. And then we set, when we set up the venue, we set up the king and queen table at the head. And then the other tables were on the side. So they kind of formed a U. So you picture a table at the head and then tables coming down the side with a lot of empty space in the middle. So with that empty space in the middle, you could have a juggler, you could have an acrobat, you could have someone, a bard, sing a story or tell a story. So all of that is possible, and that's pretty similar to the way that they would set up tables in that time. Now, with the setting of tables, you would have what's called above the salt. So salt was very precious. So there were containers of salt. And if you were royalty, you were above the salt. In other words, you were closer to the head table, the higher your rank was. So if you were peasants, you were definitely below the salt. But other people who were kind of in between, like the merchants, they might be below the salt. And so that was kind of a saying back there, above the salt or below the salt. One of the things that we did, I said we had the royal table and descending tables, and we decorated them differently. And, you know, for example, at the head table, they had silver plates and silver spoons and knives. Now, there was no forks back then, so we didn't serve forks. But the normal people, even many of the nobility, would eat with wooden bowls. And usually people ate with a knife that they, you know, people carried knives around. And so they might take their knife out and, you know, use it to eat their food, like put the peas on the knife or something like that. And that was completely acceptable. Sometimes there were spoons. Sometimes people ate with their fingers. So you would see a difference. Now, we did not use silver plates. We used silver 
paper plates. Well, not the paper plates, but, you know, the fancier ones. So we used ones that were colored silver. And then we had silver goblets or fake silver goblets. That was for the head table. And then as the tables went down, they got less nice till the peasant tables were just very plain wooden bowls. And, you know, it wasn't decorated. It was so you could definitely see as you moved up and you passed the salt and you got to the royal table, you could see things getting nicer and nicer and nicer. So the way we did it is that people arrived and they brought their food. And I'm going to talk about food next. But people arrived and they brought their food. And then they got in a line. Laura and I helped everyone to get in order. So the the actually the priest or bishop will usually go in first. And then keep in mind, it's the Middle Ages. The church is in charge and the church is really honored in the Middle Ages. Sometimes that led to corruption, but we're not going to talk about that right now. So, that you know, the bishop was first and then the highest ranking person. So if it was a lord and lady hosting and they were the highest ranking, they would go in next. But if there was a king there, they would be next and they would be at the head table and then say there's a king and a queen and a prince and a princess and a duke and then a lord and a lady then it would be the king and queen would go in first the king escorting the queen then the prince and princess then the duke and duchess then the lord and lady so they would all go in order and then after that it would be based on other ranks. So it was very much this rank and that rank and and everyone had to stay in their place. Not like today where, you know, you can be born poor in America and become rich. It's just very hard for us to imagine this. So the herald would blow his trumpet and we actually got someone to bring a trumpet in. You know, he actually was a trumpet. I'm just trying to imitate one. And then they would process in and take their seat. So the men helping the ladies to sit. Now, the food was very interesting. They often had a roasted pig, a whole roasted pig. And we looked into that, Laura and I decided, yeah, that would be really cool. But then we remembered because when we had done a luau together, we had wanted a roasted pig. And, oh, my goodness, it was just way too expensive. So I had this brilliant idea. I said, why don't we all bring a meatloaf and we'll cut it and fit it together and make it look like a pig and put an apple in its mouth? If you purchase my book, Let's Have Our Own Medieval Banquet, you can see a picture of the pig. It looks nothing like a pig. It looks like a meatloaf elf. If you remember that old TV show or you've ever seen it, he's an alien from outer space, brown and furry. The meatloaf wasn't furry, but it it was just this big mess. It did not look like a pig. But we just pretended it did look like a pig. And, you know, the, um, the servants brought it in on a big tray, presented it to the king who approved it, and then they served it. Well, that was, you know, anyway, that was kind of my big flop, but we had a good laugh about it. So other meats that you can serve at a medieval banquet would be venison, which is deer, pork, wild boar, or pig or ham, like I I mentioned, 
beef tongue, chicken, swan. I have never had swan. Heron, peacock, pheasant, quail, partridges, crane, eel, fish, and rabbit. Now, a lot of those are just not in our normal American supermarket. So you have to get a little creative. You know, sometimes you might have, you might be a hunting family or you know people who hunt and they might be able to get a deer for you. But anyway, those are the meats that were popular back then. And then here's some of the foods that they would eat in the Middle Ages. Peas. You know, you hear this story about the peas on the knife, but they really did eat peas and they really did use their knife to eat. Um, rice, broth, soups, dried fruit, eggs, white sauces, white puddings. Remember, they, it had not been the age of exploration yet, so they had not gotten chocolate. They found chocolate in Mexico with the Aztecs. And um, but so everything would be white, which is uh, also very different because we love chocolate, don't we? But no chocolate. Tarts, jellies, fritters, pastries and fruit dumplings and then baskets of bread. Cheese was a really, really big thing in a medieval banquet. Lots of laughing, lots of talking and a lot of different courses. So say you're arriving at a medieval banquet. We're time traveling and you're arriving at a medieval banquet. They would first of all serve you some broth. Then they would serve you a salad. And then they would serve you some cheese. They were really big on cheese. They served cheese near the beginning and at the very end. Then you would get a thicker soup. And then you would have your main course, vegetable and meat. So by now you've had broth, salad, cheese, and soup, four courses, and then your meat course. And then dessert would be after the meat and vegetables. And that might be fruit, cake, pudding. Remember, only white. They didn't have chocolate yet. And then at the very end of the meal, they served cheese again. So that's a lot of courses. And we did not do all those courses because we were like, no, that's too much. So we did a salad course, and then we had our meat and vegetables. And then after that, and again, no potatoes. Potatoes come from the New World. And even though when we think of potatoes, we always think of Ireland. No potatoes, because it was not the age of exploration yet. And they found potatoes in the New World. So just, you know, you have to remember these things to be authentic. We serve drinks. We serve grape juice and cider. Those were, they also drank a lot of ale. So you could also serve root beer or ginger ale. So that is kind of the food situation. You have to have a sign up very specifically if you're inviting a lot of people. If it's just your family, it's very easy to do. But if you're getting other people involved, there are some people who will really be on board and other people who are like, oh, I'll just bring a bag of chips. Well, they cannot bring a bag of chips to a medieval banquet. They can't do it. They can't bring mashed potatoes to a medieval banquet. They can't bring chocolate cake to a medieval banquet. So what they have to do is they have to sign up. You have to have a sign-up sheet if you want to be authentic. And like I said, we weren't authentic with the Alf meatloaf, which was supposed to be a roasted pig. But the next time we did it, we used pork. We had pork. And, of course, I love barbecued pork. 
but we couldn't have barbecued pork because, again, that was not something we found in the Middle Ages. They might have had it and we didn't know about it, but I couldn't find anything about it in our research. Now, as you're eating, you might have some entertainment. So I want to talk a little about that because there's a lot of things they did in the Middle Ages for entertainment. Then we also had activities after. So I'm first going to talk about some of the things that you could do for entertainment. You could have a bard perform. Now, a bard usually traveled unless a king said, you're going to be my bard. Here, have a room in my castle. And a bard was basically a singer or a storyteller, usually both. So usually he would tell a story in a poem form singing it. So he would sing songs that were very, very long. And as they would eat or after they were finished eating, usually the bard would come out and he would tell stories. Now, they also would have a jester. A jester would tell jokes and be silly. And, you know, just think of a comedian that you really like. That would be a jester. So another thing that you can do, they did not usually do this at the medieval banquets, but they did do these in the Middle Ages, is they would have miracle plays and mystery plays. So the miracle play would be something about a saint. So a saint from olden times, like St. Clara or St. Francis, they would have a play about him or her. Now, a mystery play was something to unfold something in the Bible, a story in the Bible. So it could be about Jonah and the whale. It could be about Jesus' birth or Jesus' resurrection or Jesus healing someone. But so mystery plays were unveiling the mystery. They were from the Bible. And miracle plays were about a saint, someone who God had really used in a powerful way. So what's interesting is that in that time, all of the masses, and that was their church service, they would say a mass. It was a liturgical service, and it was all in Latin. So it wasn't the language of the people. So a lot of the people were really confused. They they thought, well, what are they saying? I don't understand it. And so these mystery plays were a big help, and they were put on by the church. Now, eventually, that led into theater and acting and stuff like that. But in the beginning, it was the church just trying to reach the people. St. Francis of Assisi, he lived in the 1100s in Assisi in Italy. That's now Italy. And he was the first one to come up with a live nativity scene because he was doing one of these, not a full mystery play, but he was trying to make the scripture alive. And so he got all these live animals and had a live baby and showed the children and the people of his town, what Christmas was really like. So I'm sharing all this with you about the mystery play and the miracle plays, because you could have something like that, maybe not a full play, but something a little bit, you know, like a short story that's acted out or a skit. And that would be very authentic. Now, if you were going to actually perform a play, remember there's the head table and then all the other tables are on the side. So you would want the mystery play to be performed 
down at the other end, like right in front of the head table. So the people on the side would kind of, you know, be tilted to see it. But that is definitely something you could do for entertainment. If you also thinking of a bard, if you had someone who was a good singer, they could either make up a story that's a song or they could find, you know, there's folk songs and different things that actually do tell a story. Or you could research. I haven't done this yet. So here's your assignment. You could research and you could find an actual song or poem. And someone could actually sing that to music. Now, when the banquet is over, then it is time for some fun activities. There is a game that they used to play in the Middle Ages called Me Lee. And it's basically like capture the flag. So if you know how to play capture the flag, the kids could play capture the flag. We always do jousting with pool noodles and the kids love, 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 love it. And so we get the pool noodles and they go out there and we have a tournament, a jousting tournament. We don't have horses, but we do have the pool noodles and we have someone who basically emcees the tournament and chooses the winner at the very end. You could also do archery and that would be really fun. We just could never get enough bows and arrows but you could do the same thing with an archery tournament or just have archery that people can do. Another thing that we did at ours is that some of the ladies did some folk dancing with, there were dances that some of the ladies would do in those days, like the dance around the maypole and things like that. There's also folk dances they did in the Middle Ages, and you could research that and they could do some folk dancing. So then another thing, I don't know if you realize that chess is, of course, from the Middle Ages, and it is a game. If you just think about chess and think about the Middle Ages, you have a king and a queen, you have a knight, it, it's it's set up upon you, it's set up like the Middle Ages, and so you could have a chess tournament, you want to have a quiet place off to the side, and you could have a chess tournament. Keep in mind that people are going to come in costumes, and you are going to see a Robin Hood. There's always a Robin Hood carrying bow and arrows, you know, with the little hat with the feather in it. A lot of the girls will look like fairy tale princesses. If you can get a guy to look like a fairy tale prince, more power to you. It's very hard to get guys to dress up like a prince, but they look so handsome and cute when they do. Um, and then you can um, have monks. My husband is the pastor. He dressed up as a monk. And then peasants, executioners, a hunchback. The ex- We had an executioner. We didn't even think of an executioner. I mean, who thinks? I don't even think we ever talked about executions, executioners in the Middle Ages. Like, we just didn't do it. And so someone shows up, but they're all dressed in black. They have this mask on for when they're actually chopping off the head and this axe. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. But it was really fun. The kids loved it, and everybody wanted a picture with them. So you just never know what's going to happen. 
But if you hear this and you think, wow, that would be really fun, realize everything I said, you can tone it down. You can make it less. You could do your own medieval banquet at your family dinner table, and you could serve authentic food from the Middle Ages, eat with knives, better yet pull out, you know, most little boys have pocket knives, pull out the pocket knives and eat, use wooden bowls. You could do that at your table and keep it simple. And then maybe each of you could be a bard and tell a story afterward, or you could have a jousting tournament in the backyard afterward. So that's keeping it super simple. If you want to do it big, you just want to make a splash. You could include your homeschool co-op. You could include a couple other families. Like I said, we have a very small church. So our homeschool co-op was part of the church. So we just included the whole church. It was so cute to see these little babies and toddlers coming dressed as knights. I just loved it. It was really fun. So we we did it, like I said, outside. We let dogs come because dogs were allowed in the banqueting hall. We were very specific with what people brought. So we didn't just say, oh, just bring food to share. We had a very specific sign-up list. And because it was educational, like what we were doing was educational for our homeschooled kids. And so we wanted it to be as authentic as possible. Uh, we all enjoyed the ladies dressing up in long dresses, whether we were peasants or princesses or ladies. Uh, married to lords, we just really had a nice time. So if you're if you're thinking, wow, I would love to do that, but I need a little help, I have got a resource for you. It's called Let's Have Our Own Medieval Banquet, and Laura and I wrote it together based on our experience. There's pictures in it from our medieval banquet, and we had so much fun and. There are, this is so cool. What Laura did is in the book, she shows you step-by-step step how to create those little cone hats with ribbons coming down that the ladies wore. And so there's a lot and just some outfit ideas. There's also step-by-step step how to set up a venue, how we did it. So I just hope that you will think about this because one of the things that I notice when my children graduate and they talk about their homeschool memories, they pick out those few things that were really over the top. You know, you can't do a medieval banquet every month. You can't do one every year. Like, you can't do something that big every year. But sometimes when you do something just over the top, it becomes such an amazing memory. And for us, that was an amazing memory is our medieval banquet. We cherish the pictures. And so I hope you'll consider that. And God bless you. I'm so excited to be with you next time. Have a wonderful week. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.